Welcome to the 96th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast. I'm your temporary host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, we will talk about the this week's NBA action and talk about the last week of college basketball uh, action too. So let's start with a look at the NBA. Uh, returning from last year, we will now start doing most impressive and most disappointing teams of the week because now that we have a little more data, we kind of know where teams should be. Uh, rather than the first few weeks of the season where you're still kind of just estimating based on talent where teams should be. And uh, I think we have a better, uh, a, a little bit of a better sense of the league now, so we can do this a little bit more accurately. So we're going to start it here. I will start with number one. It's got to be the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they're on a 10-game winning streak right now. They went 4-0 this week with wins over Dallas, Minnesota, Houston, and Memphis. Not the hardest schedule ever, but... If a team wins 10 games in a row, I'm going to have to talk about them. And I mean, look, this is probably the most underrated team in the NBA, I would argue, because it feels like we're all ignoring that this team was up 2-0 in the finals last year. In the NBA finals, not the conference finals, the NBA finals. This team was just two, just needed to win two out of six games, or sorry, two out of five games to win the NBA finals, and they just couldn't get it done. But I mean... This is a very, very, very talented, good team, and we all know that, but somehow they flew under the radar. I think a lot of people were caught up in a disappointing Lakers season, put them above them, myself included, uh, thinking about the Nets. Maybe it's because of the Kyrie Irving controversy that a lot of people, that name popped back in their head, and then obviously the defending champs who beat the Suns, that being the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, everybody's going to think about them too, so a lot of thoughts about that, but uh I think in general, we're just kind of underrating the Suns, and uh, I think this 10-game winning streak means that they're kind of back on the map, and maybe it puts a little bit of a target on their back, which isn't maybe something they want, but I still think overall that this is a very good team we're looking at, and this level of play, maybe not obviously uh, just never losing a game, but pretty good weeks. I mean, I could see them going 4-0 if they repeated this week many times throughout the season. The schedule's not hard enough that they're going to slip up. I bet, I bet they'll lose a few games soon. Uh, maybe the one to Dallas after after beating them earlier in the week. Maybe it's possible. I don't have them losing that game, but uh, that's the type of game they might lose, or maybe when they play some of the harder Western Conference teams. But for now, I mean, that's pretty sustainable for them, honestly, and credit to the Suns. Uh, the next team I'm going with, the Charlotte Hornets, really considered putting them number one, and if the Suns didn't have this long, long, long win streak, I probably would have. But I did not put them there just because of the winning streak by the Suns. I mean, otherwise, they beat the Warriors, the best team in the league. So there's no reason for me to not have them up there. But for just that reason of the Suns, I had to put them down a little bit. But it's really more of a 1A, 1B situation. I'm really impressed with the Hornets right now. Uh, Washington, Golden State, and New York are the teams they beat this week. But Washington is even playing okay and have been so far this season. I think they're 10-5, and five, something in that range. So that's a good team that we're talking about with that win there. Uh, and obviously Golden State has the best record in the league. And, and Charlotte made the Knicks look foolish. They, they made it look like they have no offense. Uh, their starters look terrible, but that's been a longer problem for the Knicks that I'll get to more later. Uh, and also they just didn't... They really exploited a team that was supposed to be one of the best defensive teams in the league going into the year. Uh, although the Knicks ne- ne- not necessarily have done that so well, but I still think that it was an impressive showing by Charlotte, and they deserve credit for the 3-0 week they put up. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about, the Miami Heat, 4-0 in the, 4-0 in the week. 
Uh, they beat New Orleans, OKC, Utah, and Washington. Yeah, it's a weak schedule. That's why they're third. Uh, but two of those ones were that were without Jimmy Butler, and I think that deserves a lot of praise. Something that uh, not a lot of teams can do is win without their best player, and that's what the Heat did uh, throughout this week. And then obviously they got him back for the game against Washington, and I believe also the game against New Orleans. So he he did come back, and that fueled the win for them. But uh, actually, no, I don't think he played against New Orleans. But regardless, it was still a good week from them. They at least had two wins without him, including one over Utah. Uh, so a very, very good week for the Heat, and uh, this team doesn't stop playing well. I mean, you can count them out as much as you want. They had, I mean, th- again, another team kind of like the Suns, uh, basically the same thing that the Suns did two years ago, or, or, or the same thing that the Suns did last year, the Heat did two years ago, make it to the finals, win two games, and then somehow fly under the radar the next year. Obviously, the Heat didn't have such a great year last year, had a very early exit to the Bucks, got swept. But I think this year they're, they're coming back with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and maybe getting to the finals kind of removed some of that edge that they had to really play well and feel like they're upsetting teams. Now it, it didn't feel like that for a while, but I think now they've gotten that back because they were kind of laughed at at the end of last year with how they exited against the Bucks. But now I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, and I think they're snowballing that into this year and playing really, really well. So I'll go with the Heat here. Very, very impressed by them. And the last team is another East Eastern Conference team. I'm going with the Atlanta Hawks. After a pretty, pretty rough start to the season, uh, they went 3-1 and one this week with wins over Boston, Orlando, and Milwaukee, and one loss to Denver. But the Nuggets are playing pretty well this year uh, to start with, even without Jamal Murray. So they got to get some credit for that. Um, and I just think overall, this was a pretty good week against not the easiest schedule. I mean, Orlando, for most teams, has been pretty easy to beat. Orlando's not the most talented team, a pretty young team. But the Hawks are actually uh, just a young, very, very, they're a very, very talented young team, but they're still young themselves, so uh, can never count out any team in the NBA. It is basketball, after all. No team is going to go 0-17 like the Lions are in football, but uh, that's a different story. Uh, but Denver, I think that's a very excusable loss, and uh, the rest of the week, the win over Boston and the win against Milwaukee, those two teams are also starving for wins too, so those are really battles of teams who were kind of desperate, and uh, Atlanta won out in those games, so they deserve credit for that. An honorable mention I will give is Golden State, but uh, when you're going 12-2 and two and you lose a game in a week, I'm not going to put you up here, and I, I have some mention of them later, so uh, let's move on from that. Let's go to the most disappointing teams of the week, starting with the Toronto Raptors. They went 0-3 this week, the only team to be winless this week. Actually, I think Houston might have been winless too, but that doesn't really count, let's be quite honest. Uh, They went 0-3. They lost to Portland, Detroit, and Utah. That was the most surprising thing is that the Raptors lost to Detroit. Uh, I think the Utah loss is kind of expected. The Portland loss is maybe a slight bit. I mean, that's a game that they could win based on how they were playing earlier in the year. They were playing pretty much to the level of Portland. But that Detroit loss is very, very surprising, and that's just a terrible week from Toronto after a pretty promising start to the season, although I still thought they were overachieving. Uh, I guess this week just proves that. And then next, I'm going with the Lakers. I get it. They don't have LeBron, but outside of Milwaukee and Chicago, when you play those two games, you got to play well against Minnesota, knowing that you have that game right before that. And uh, I just think they didn't show enough fight. They won that one game against San Antonio this week. But they went 1-3, and three, and after all, that's going to land you on here when you're supposed to be a championship contender, even if the losses are to good teams. Uh, but they also just got embarrassed by Chicago, and uh, Milwaukee, 
They played a close game against Milwaukee. They had a little bit of a comeback in the third quarter. But Anthony Davis did not play too well, and they let Giannis get 47 points, which is the direct position which the Lakers' best player is guarding. That is not a good sign, or at least best player on the floor at the time, obviously because LeBron was still out. And I'm not going to use the injuries as an excuse for them because the Bucks have been doing fine when they've been injured all season. Uh, they haven't necessarily been championship contending type uh, performances, but the Bucks have stayed afloat. They've been near 500 the whole year. And now you see them come out and beat the Lakers, even after Chris Middleton missed seven or eight games in a row. Comes back, plays well enough with Giannis dropping 47 uh, for them to win that game. So I think the Lakers can't, I'm not giving them that excuse either. Um, the Knicks are the next team that I'll have to go with. One and two on the week with losses to Orlando and Charlotte. And then a win against Indiana. Indiana. I mean, look, you have two games this this week that should have been wins. Pretty simply, for any playoff team in the East or in the West, when you don't capitalize on those two wins, uh, it's just a bad sign in general. But then when you also lose that that winnable game, I would say against Charlotte, that ended up being a close game. It should have been a close game. At least they kept it close. But they lost a game that I think they definitely could have been in, and they just did not play well enough to get the win and I think they they deserve to I mean they deserve to be discredited for it. I think overall this season they were supposed to be a very very good defensive team and they just haven't been. Uh and offensively they it's not like they were focused too much on offense that they got really good at offense and can't play defense anymore. They really are still kind of average in offense. So when you combine being average in offense and not as good as you're supposed to be on defense, and frankly, bottom half of the league in defense, that is not a winning formula, and that's not going to carry the Knicks to the playoffs. They need to get back to their defensive ways. If they do, then maybe they'll be a playoff-caliber team again, but I'm starting to lose my faith in this team very, very early in the year. And finally, I will go with the Philadelphia 76ers. Also went 1-2 this week. A little bit of a harder schedule, and they did pull out a win against Denver, which kind of kept them towards the bottom of this list as a little bit of a less disappointing team, but yet still disappointing to me. Uh, lost to Utah, okay, that's pretty excusable to be quite honest. I think Utah's on top of the West right now if the Suns aren't. Uh, and then Indiana, that's a loss that you shouldn't have. Uh, it doesn't matter who's injured, and I think Joel Embiid might have missed that game, but I, I don't really care. that The rest of their roster should be good enough to beat Indiana, uh, and it just wasn't. And then they got the win against Denver, so they deserve some credit for bouncing back at the end of the week but I still have to leave them on this list. Um, and overall, the Sixers need to play better too. I think the Sixers, the Lakers, the, and the Bucks are really the three contenders that just haven't played all too well to start the season. The Sixers are in the best position of the three, but I feel like they're still underachieving a bit as the Lakers and Bucks have a little bit more injury struggles. Uh, moving on, let's go to the player of the week. But before I go to the player of the week, the runner-up was Giannis after scoring 47, led the league in points this week, but... The one thing he was missing is that he only played two games and he was out for a little bit, so I'm not going to give him full credit for it. Instead, I'm going to give it to the man who I promised I would give it to eventually and that he would win many more. Let's go with Steph Curry for a record-setting week. Uh, he has he averaged 35.3 points per game this week, 7.5 three-pointers made per game, 5.5 rebounds, and 6.5 assists along with two steals per game. Uh, the Warriors went 3-1. and one. He also single-handedly outscored the entire Cleveland Cavaliers team in the fourth quarter last night, be outscoring them 20-8. to eight. Normally, you don't see players outscoring teams in quarters, and if it's going to happen, it's probably in the first quarter when a guy's off to a hot start. 
to do it in clutch time when your team needed you in a close game for the win, it's ridiculous. This is just something that only Steph Curry could do, and he's just playing out of his mind to start the season. He should be the leading MVP candidate. He is in my mind right now, Um, but I'm going to go ahead and just say that this was definitely the week he deserved to win Player of the Week, but at least I saved it for Week 3 because if I had given it to him last week, I feel bad giving it to him again this week. But this week was just something else for him. I think he had two games this week where he had nine or more three-pointers, bringing his career total to 38 or something like that. And the next closest player is, I think, James Harden with seven or with eight. And uh, he, I think Steph has nine. Per, I think he has more since April than the, to, than the second best of all time in their entire career, which just goes to show you he's shooting the lights out right now. And uh, Steph is just amazing so far to start the season. Can't really say enough about it, but also don't really have any words about it. He's just been great. Uh, so moving on from the NBA, I will now talk about college basketball. I will start with the big upsets in college basketball. This does not include all upsets. I'll be covering some of them in the close games. Um, but Let's start with Florida beating number 20, Florida State, 71-55. to This was the first win for Florida in, I think, the last eight times that they've played Florida State. So a big win for them. Uh, really, honestly, odd because it was a year where Florida State may be a little bit below expectations of normal, but Florida far, far, far below expectations. Had a lot of transfers, had Trey Mann go to, go to the NBA this year. Uh, And Florida State just did their normal replenishing of talent with a good recruiting class. Not as good as they had last year um, to replace some of the stellar freshmen that they had, but they always have experience behind them. They play 10 or 12 guys deep all the time, so they're used to uh, having a lot of players playing, and then all of a sudden the next year those guys who get valuable bench minutes, just only bench minutes, graduate into starters, and they're still able to play because they have all that experience. Um, So... A little bit surprising that Florida State lost this game. I They were the only game I got la- wrong last week in my uh, weekend predictions. But a more surprising upset in the Gavit tip-off games, Marquette beat number 10 Illinois 67-66 to while playing in Pfizer Forum, the stadium of the Bucks. I might add. Uh, pretty good game for them to get that stadium and uh, put on a show for their fans in Chaka Smart's fourth or third game, actually, uh, at Marquette. Obviously, he left Texas last year uh, and then went to Marquette instead. Very, very interesting move there. I think he actually got fired, though, from Texas, so it wasn't really much of his choice. But Shaka had a great record at VCU. That's what got him the job at Texas, and uh, he's really continuing that to start the year at Marquette. I'll talk more about them later. But Illinois was missing Kofi Coburn, so not too surprising that this game was close. But they really had it in their hands. They had an 11-point lead. They were up 55-44, to 44, and obviously losing this game 67-66 to 66, uh, means that Marquette went on a 23-11 to 11 run to finish the game. So that is not supposed to happen with an experienced team like Illinois, a team who played really, really well last year, got a one seed. Uh, of course, didn't even make it to the Sweet 16, though, because they got upset by Loyola Chicago in the second round. But this is still an experienced enough team that even without Kofi, I think with an 11-point lead, it's safe to say that they blew this game. Uh, The next one, probably the most surprising so far, Seton Hall beat number four Michigan 67-65, to although Michigan really, I mean, they were 0 for 12 from three before they hit their first one, and that first one came very late, I think midway through the second half, that three uh, knocked in. So it's not all too surprising that when you play that badly, 
Uh, you shoot, I think, three for 20 or something like that from the three-point line that you're going to lose. And then you add in the factors that Seton Hall is really one of the rare teams who actually has enough length to match up with a team like Michigan who has one of the top centers in the country in Hunter Dickinson. But also, a lot of teams can match up with Hunter Dickinson. Well, not a lot of teams, but there are a few teams who can match up well with him and a good amount that can match up okay with him. But Ike Obiagu matches up very, very well with with Michigan and Hunter Dickinson. And also, the rest of their team has a lot of length and a lot of size to really negate Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate, some of the other bigger players that Michigan has that really, they would be matchup problems for other teams too, uh, especially when you place them alongside Hunter Dickinson. That's what's going to make Michigan so tough to beat all year. But I really think this was just a manner of what team had more experience. Seton Hall was way better when the game got tough and the player and the possessions got tougher. Uh, Devontae Jones, Michigan's starting point guard, fouled out of this game uh, when I believe the game was tied and he actually allowed Seton Hall to get a free throw that ended up winning them uh, or to get to the line. In, and then that free throw ended up pretty much winning them the game. Uh, and that was with, I think, 30 or 35 seconds left. So really, I mean, and he was he's a grad transfer, so he's actually one of Michigan's more experienced players. But with how many freshmen were playing, I think Seton Hall just, they had such an experience advantage on Michigan. And early in the season, you can't understate that enough. So uh, eventually, I think Michigan will get a lot better. This is one of those games that, you know, you don't ever need a loss, but this is one of those games that you're not going to be terribly uh, upset about. And really, it could just be a learning experience for Michigan. But moving on from that, BYU demolished number 12 Oregon, making the Michigan loss look okay, because at least they lost to an unranked team that was also good by a little bit. Oregon lost 81-49 to at home. That loss, I mean, I don't even know how I can describe it. It's just bad, I think is the only way I can say it. Uh, I don't really have many words other than the fact that I picked BYU to beat San Diego State. I had them in my tournament to begin the season. And really, maybe Gonzaga won't go undefeated because they play BYU. I'm not even looking at UCLA at this point. I'm looking at BYU later in the season. Uh, Whether that's a little bit facetious or not, uh, I don't know. But uh, there's some sarcasm packed in. But still, I really do think BYU will be probably a top 15 team come the start of next week. And uh, they will continue to play well throughout the season. They're a for sure tournament team now. Uh, That was one of those wins that you thought... Maybe if they lose against San Diego State and Oregon, it's kind of one of those situations where they can only lose three or four games in conference and just hope that the rest of their resume holds up well enough. Now that they've won those two games, uh, they have really good wins on their resume early in the year, and based on the way they're playing, they're going to keep playing well and keep beating the teams that they're playing. Uh, The next team, Maryland, they kept it close a lot, maybe too much, uh, and lost to George Mason this week, 71-66. to uh, Maryland number 20 in the country, and I should mention Oregon was number 12 if I didn't already. Uh, but Maryland was number 20. They lost to George Mason by five at home. I don't think George Mason is good because of this win. I, I think BYU is good. We know they're about their talent. They were in the tournament last year. Don't treat George Mason like that. This was a bad loss for Maryland. This is kind of a microcosm of their season. They let every team stay way too close in games. Uh, earlier in the year, it hadn't manifested itself as much. But this game, George Mason is just good enough to make them look silly when they leave them in the game too much. And that's exactly what Maryland did. They let the game stay way too close, and it came back to bite them, and that's why they lost this game. Uh, Now moving on from the big upsets, 
Let's go to the close games of games that shouldn't have been close at all. There's only two of them this week, so I guess teams have started to play a little bit cleaner. Uh, number 14, Alabama, beat South Alabama 73-68, to which is, again, not a big enough margin against a team of that caliber. Let's be honest, South Alabama's not very good. Um, and then North Carolina, number 19 in the country, beat Brown 94-87. to that was also another game that's, I mean, that's, that should, that game should not be that close. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. Both of those games, not surprising that those teams won, obviously, but really should not have been that big of an effort. Uh, and by the way, some of the big upsets of the week, you could argue the same thing, especially with George Mason in Maryland. Um, but moving on from the close games of games that shouldn't have been close at all, let's move on to the overall close games. Obviously, uh, I'm going to start with UCLA beating number four Villanova. Sorry, number two UCLA beating number four Villanova, 86 to 77 in overtime. I had tabbed this in my weekend predictions uh, in my preview of this game. I had said this was an early game of the year candidate, and it did not fall short of that. It delivered for sure. It delivered big time. Uh, some crazy shooting in this game. Johnny Juzang had a personal run where he made seven shots in a row. Villanova had a point in the game where it felt like for three or four minutes, they just could not miss from three, uh, and it looked like they were going to bury UCLA, and then throughout it, UCLA kind of dealt with all the body blows and eventually came back and won the game in overtime. They forced it to overtime and then played really, really well in overtime, and uh, by the end of it, by the end of all the fouling that's customary at the end of basketball games, uh, they end up winning by nine. So a pretty good game played by UCLA. Uh, You could argue that maybe this doesn't speak too well for them because they should probably win against an inferior team at home. The the only team who should be taking them to overtime at home is Gonzaga. Teams can beat them when they're on the road for sure, but uh, you can make that argument. I'm not of that thought. It's too early in the season for that to be happening. If you're talking about 20 games into the season, I would agree with that. But for now, this is definitely excusable. I'm not saying this makes UCLA look bad at all. Uh, And I also don't think it makes Villanova look bad. In fact, it actually gave me more faith in Villanova that they even got this game to overtime because I was feeling really good about UCLA winning this game. And I was going to be very, very surprised if they didn't. But Villanova brought it to overtime. They deserve credit for that. Uh, And then moving on from that, Providence beat Wisconsin in another Gavit game uh, there. 63-58, Providence won this game. Wisconsin has a has a fifty uh, fifth year senior Brad Davison. If you don't know him, uh, I don't know if he's been, his number is number thirty four. I don't know if he's been at the school for thirty four years, but it feels like that's what his number is actually signaling. Uh, he's been there forever. There's a lot of players in the Big Ten that we could say the same about. Eli Brooks from Michigan is another one. Um, but the I mean, he's been there forever. Let's just put it that way. And when you have that much experience, and Wisconsin really did have a lot of it, you expect to win games early in the season, especially against teams like Providence. Although I think one of the big keys that came down uh, that came down to decide a few of these games in the Big East uh, and Big Ten matchups, the Big East has a lot of experience too, and a lot of teams that were hungry because they had a down year last year as a conference and did not make the tournament. Uh, a lot of their teams didn't make the tournament, and because of that, I think there a lot of the teams who just fell short, guys felt like they were granted an extra year of eligibility and they were not going to waste it. They had unfinished business, uh, and I think that was a big factor. Whereas the Big Ten. A lot of guys, I mean, the Big Ten had one of its best years of all time. So I think a lot of their guys just felt like they had the opposite. They didn't have unfinished business anymore. If you were on a team that doesn't normally make the tournament, you made the tournament. If you were on a team like Illinois, you got a one seed, uh, which was very rare for that program for a while. Um, if you're on Michigan, you also got a one seed. You you had a very good season too. 
So I think that's kind of what it came down to. And then a lot of players wanted to stay because of that. And then there are also some teams that just have a lot of young talent in the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin wasn't one of them, though, which is why I was a little bit surprised at this loss. Uh, but a team that doesn't have a lot of old guys on it, Creighton beat Nebraska. Creighton has a lot of transfers, some veterans. Nebraska is a very young team, uh, and I think that showed, and they, they made a great— I mean, Creighton looked like they were going to destroy Nebraska in this game. Uh, and then Nebraska made a run to keep it close, but it didn't really mean much. Uh, Nebraska, I believe, came back to tie the game in the first half after being down 15 or 17, something like that. Uh, but in the end, Creighton pulls it out, winning 77-69. to 69. Next is another one. Actually, all of these games now, now that I'm done with the UCLA game, all of them are in that Big East, Big Ten, Gavit Games tip-off event. Um, Indiana beat St. John 76-74. to 74. Indiana's tough to beat at home. I, I think that's the whole takeaway that I'm going to get from this. They always have been, even when they're not playing well, they are a very hard team to beat uh, when they're in their own building. And this was just another example of that. St. John's is just, St. John's is in their talent level. They have very similar levels of talent. And I think if you are similar to Indiana in any way, shape, or form, Indiana will beat you at home. And this was another example of that. Uh, it, it, I mean, St. John's kept it close. Julian Champagne was ridiculous in this game, scoring 32 points on 12 of 22 shooting. Uh, I mean, he played his heart out, but it just wasn't enough to beat Indiana in the end. And again, as I said, they are a very, very tough team to beat uh, when they're in their own building. So it wasn't too surprising. What was a little bit surprising was that uh, that was one of the, I think, only two or three wins the Big Ten got in the entire Gavit Games event. That was very, very surprising. Yeah, it was one of the only two wins. Uh, the other one, which I will mention here, even though it wasn't a close game, was Michigan State beating Xavier, or sorry, beating Butler, 73-52. to But speaking of Xavier, Xavier beat number 19 Ohio State, 71-65. I didn't put this in the upsets category because it did not belong with those other games. This was supposed to be a very, very close game. It definitely was. Uh... EJ Liddell almost had a triple-double with blocks being the third stat he got after points and rebounds. But I think Xavier just played a really great game. Uh, Paul Scruggs had a posterizer over EJ Liddell at the end of the game. As really, the game normally the dagger in the game is always a three, but this time it was a great dunk that Scruggs made. And uh, overall, Xavier just played very well in this game. We're able to stop Ohio State from really getting anything going offensively. And we're just able to do enough offensively on their own to win this game. Finally, I will end with DePaul beating Rutgers 73-70. to It hasn't been a great start for, to the season for Rutgers. Uh, they were 3-0, but they won against Lehigh in overtime. They only scored 48 points against Merrimack. And they beat NJIT by 14, but they were trailing to them uh, at the half. Which, yes, it, it was not a good start for Rutgers. And... Maybe a loss is going to wake them up, but that this this game, really, they didn't deserve to win at all. Uh, they kept it close. They made a lot of threes at the end. The end of the game had a lot of threes going back and forth, but DePaul deserved it. They played better, and they have been playing better to start the year. Um, and again, just DePaul played a very, very good game. So uh, they deserve that win. And finally, let's move on to my takeaways from the overall uh, college basketball season. The Big Ten struggled in the Gavit games against the Big East. Um, Michigan and Illinois are the big names to lose, but other than Michigan State, I don't believe any teams performed up to their expectations. 
or, or above them at least. Uh, Indiana beating St. John's, I guess, is performing up to their expectations in a close game, although you could even make the argument that they left it way too close. And I think just Michigan State wasn't even really... I mean, they were supposed to win this game, I think, but I don't think anybody saw them winning by 21. I think that was a very surprising thing. And look, I've been on the Michigan State train ever since that game against uh, Kansas to start the year in the Champions Classic. I believe that that was them showing that they could be a competitive team. I think Kansas is just too much for them talent-wise. But I really think Michigan State can be a top 20, top 15 kind of a fringe team down the se- when you get to the end of the season, that doesn't mean they're going to start beating top five teams. That doesn't mean, I think, that they're going to be, uh, that if they play Michigan on the road, I don't think they're going to be winning those types of games or Illinois or Purdue. I don't really think that at all. But I still think they're going to keep all those games close. And I think that overall, they're going to play every team tough this year. Uh, I think it's not your typical Michigan State team, but I think this is still, it's not a typical Michigan State team in terms of, expectations and probably what the reality of the end of the season is, but this could easily be another, uh, just a little bit of a a downgraded form of a typical Michigan State team where they end up as maybe a four or five seed instead of a two or three seed, but still play every team close and still play very, very well, especially at the end of the year. Um, But moving on from that, uh, Nebraska and Wisconsin losing were also surprising, so uh, I, I think that goes to say it. And then, by the way, outside of the Gavit games, as I mentioned, Maryland lost to George Mason. I mean, if you said that a bunch of Big Ten teams lost this week, I'd say, okay, they had a little bit of a rough week in the Gavit games, okay. Uh, maybe some of these teams lost when they started playing those weird tournament games in uh, in Vegas, in, in Charleston. I know Purdue plays North Carolina this week, something like that. I would assume that uh, those were the games they were losing, but I would not think for a second that Maryland would be losing at home to George Mason. That was probably one of the least likely losses of the week. Uh, and it was one of them that happened, and also only two teams won in the in the Gavit games. So another surprising result there. Uh, and then I think Big East has a great start to the year from unlikely contributors. I mean, Villanova and UConn are the two best teams in this conference. Neither of them played in the Gavit games. That is something to note. It is not. It's not that the Big Ten had bad matchups. The Big Ten was not even playing the best the Big East has to offer, and they still only won two games. I think really it comes down to experience, though. I think Michigan's very inexperienced compared to the Big East teams, and I think all the Big East teams have super big experience advantages. These teams need to stack up their wins early in the year, and if they can, uh, it's it's a huge advantage. Whoever comes out of the early season, maybe 8-2 and before conference starts, that team's going to be a team that makes the tournament because these teams are going to start beating up on each other when it gets to conference play. The worst thing that could happen is for a lot of them to be 4-4 with losses in in their games against the Big Ten, that would basically guarantee that they don't get many tournament teams like they did last year. Um, but if they start to win these close games, these tough games, the games that they scheduled to prove themselves for, to the tournament committee, they will be a dangerous conference all year. Uh, and I think even Marquette, who I think was finish, picked to finish eighth in the conference, they start, they've now started out 4-0. After their win over Illinois, Marquette also carried it into the Charleston Classic, beating Ole Miss on a neutral court. I mean, they have just been playing really, really well. Uh, and they also have a game against West Virginia today, which I think they're also going to win, to be quite honest. And I think after that, they, they might even win the championship game of, of that tournament if there is one after that West Virginia game. Uh, I, I think West Virginia actually is the favorite in that game, but I, I, I got to say Marquette's going to win that game. I just think that there's no way that they... 
I, I just think they're playing too well. And I think that Chaka Smart is a really great coach, and I don't know why Texas fired him, to be honest. Uh, that program has not gotten to top three seed level probably since Kevin Durant left, and all of a sudden they just want to get that guy gone, which is a very interesting move. But look, every team, including Marquette, looks very beatable by any good team. Uh, and that includes the Big East especially. I mean, they're going to really beat each other up in conference. But I think just overall in the whole college football, in the whole college basketball scene, the only team who looks unbeatable, this is my final takeaway, is Gonzaga. Uh, Villanova already took UCLA to overtime on the road. I think UCLA will lose a few road games this year. I don't I don't, I don't. don't even think that's a question. I don't think they're going to be, even in a week, Pac-12, I don't think they're going to go go through it unscathed. Maybe even lose to USC on the road, although... Not really on the road because you're not really going very far for that game. Um, but I could see them slipping up against teams you really wouldn't expect them to lose to. I could see them losing in the in the uh, event that they play in soon, I believe, where they're going to play either Duke or Gonzaga and, or maybe even both. I, I could definitely see losses there. Uh, any neutral court games they play this year, I, I see that team as maybe a five or six loss team, but still a very, very, very good team. Um, but... Overall, I think Gonzaga, I didn't even mention their win against number five Texas because it wasn't close. They didn't keep it to overtime like UCLA did against Villanova. They had Texas on the ropes the entire game and still ended up winning by 12 or 14. Uh, So just a great game played by Gonzaga. They're playing the same that they always have with that tight eight-man or seven-man rotation, whichever whichever they prefer. Uh, They have eight talented people who can really play and really... I don't think they'll have an issue playing more than eight if they want to. I think they can't obviously switch into that later in the year, and they're going to have to stay healthy to be the number one team in the country. But overall, this rotation is it's great. Uh, Gonzaga is a great team, and they'll continue to be great all year. Uh, but for now, they're the only team who doesn't look that beatable, and maybe BYU could pull it out on the road but that's or when BYU is at home. But... I, that's really the only loss I see them taking this year other than maybe one in their other earlier uh, uh, neutral site games. So we'll have to see. But overall, uh, I think Gonzaga's the best team, and I don't think it's really that close right now. But that will end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, November 22nd, where we will see the accuracy of my weekend predictions and discuss this weekend's college college football and NFL action In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my weekend predictions that were posted yesterday. Uh, And by the way, a lot of those games are today, so definitely keep in mind. Keep that in mind while you're watching games tonight that I might have predicted them. Uh, The 11th installment of our College Football Top 25 poll that came out on Tuesday, and the 12th one, which will come out next Tuesday, and what will definitely be a drastically changed NCAA tournament bracket on Saturday. I will be reevaluating it like the season had just begun with these records just installed into the teams. I'm going to just re-rank everything. I'm not going to make it be like uh, the middle of the year where these teams already have established levels. If you're 4-0, you're going to be near the top. Uh, so it'll look a little bit odd, and maybe the teams that you think are super, super talented will be under teams that aren't so talented. It might look surprising, but it'll even out in the end. Uh, but for now... That is the end of this episode, and uh, check all that stuff out on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.